Father, that is our prayer tonight that we will take our candle and go light the world. Your word says that a man doesn't take a light and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick where it can give light to all of those that are in the house. And Father, we are committed to let the light of the Holy Spirit that you place with inside of us shine. Let it shine, O oh God, so that we can light up a dark world. And Father, we thank you that in the midst of insecurity, in the midst of fear, in the midst of terror, we will not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day, the terror that flies by night. But God, we lift up our light unto you, and we pray that you would make us sharp, make us clear, and Father, make our path right and bright. Now, Father, for those that are in darkness, we're asking lots of questions about what in the world is going on and where is God. Father, help us to be answers and solutions to the day's world's dilemmas. For this, we give you thanksgiving. And for this, we give you praise. We honor you for it now. Now let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, thy, my strength and my redeemer. Would you strengthen us today? on our journey. And Father, if there's anyone here tonight that's lost, save them. Anyone that's backslidden, redeem them. Father, anybody that needs to push further into you, Father, push them. And Father, I thank you that you'll draw us and give us another word that will help us in our journey. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome on Tuesday. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, Pastor John was praying for our world. As we begin this time, we said that we live in a dangerous and in a changing world right now. You know, as we are discerning the times right now, we're dealing with what a lot of uh, political forecasters are calling orderly nations and disorderly nations. And right now, because there are in public conversations, how do we stand as orderly nations that may have jobs, solid government, education, and systems in place. And yet we live in a world where there are few jobs, little work, and disorder. How do we stand in those cultures? There are a lot of angry people that are out there because they have no work. And a lot of the young men that are merging, as I talk to my Muslim neighbors and say, how does one get radicalized? That term is being used. And they say when someone's isolated from society and when they cannot find jobs, then they cannot find uh, a young lady that would marry them. And then they don't have any identity. And then they're harassed by the culture they're in. They said it's very easy to over the Internet for someone to come in and said, I'll give you a job. I'll give you a weapon. I'll give you a wife and you will have identity. And that's how groups like the ISIS state, begin to emerge. That's what Muhammad did when he started that faith. And friend, it emerges there when there's a lot of anger in the world, but it's not only with radical Muslims, but also Hindus and Buddhists all over the world. And friends, I think that it's important for us to understand that we live in a world that's very, very, very dangerous, but these are the last days. And one of the things we have to discern today is a world where some things are inevitable. Jesus said ethnic group will rise against ethnic group, nation against nation. We are living in those days today, and it's important that we discern the times. So we've been looking in Matthew chapter 16, and why don't you join me there tonight? And as we join ourselves in Matthew chapter 16, uh, here we find Jesus giving this final command. And he said to them in 1615, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It says, he that believes and is, uh, will be saved. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe in my name. They shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover in my name. And friends, I think it's important that you and I understand that God calls us to go not only to the nations, but into the world. 
And when we go into the world, we go into the cosmos, the orderly arrangement of things. We are called to go into arts and and uh, entertainment, we're called to go into business, we're called to go into congregations and direct media, we're called to go into education, families, and government, and every place we go, we are to shine there as light. We are to preach the gospel with our lifestyle and with our language. Our lifestyle is the way that we live. Our language is how we behave as we go. And every place we go, we let our light shine before men, that they may see our good works. We also use as a compatible scripture as we have gone. Matthew chapter 16, and could you turn to 16, 1? And this was a leadership meeting, and it says, And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, testing him, and asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he said to them, When it is evening, you say, It is fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it is foul weather, for today, uh, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And friends, I believe that God has given us lots of times, signs to let us know what time it is. And we know that we're in the last days. Do you know that 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up He says in the last days, he said he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. He quotes the prophet Joel. That was over 2,000 years ago. If 2,000 years ago was the last days, then we probably are in the last of the last days. And so that means that God is now beginning to accelerate the fulfillment of what he has spoken. And as he does, we need to be aware of discerning the signs of the time. Luke chapter 12 now and verse number 56, which is our other compatible foundation scripture where Jesus talking to leaders as hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. How is it that you do not discern this time? And Jesus's first coming was calculated been prophesied by both minor and major prophets by Daniel. And when Jesus appeared on Palm Sunday, Uh, They said, why don't you stop these from yelling out, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. He says, don't you know it's that time? He says, man, if these today would not yell, he said, the very rocks would stand up and yell out. He said, don't you understand the times? His first coming was predicted. His second coming is a mystery. But we know he said, I will come again. We stand in that place between his ascension and his second coming. And in these days, mature discernment will help us to uh, to offset uh, end time deception. Now, we've been talking about the discerning the times. And I've been giving you each night or each session about five things we need to discern. I would like to give you five more things that I believe we need to discern during this time. Would you join me in Acts chapter 16 and verse number six? Acts 16 and verse number six. As we come to the end of this time, I believe we're going to have to discern between opportunities and assignments. And I'm going to call this principle, you and I will have to discern when to enter, when to leave, and when to stay in the thing. When to enter, when to leave, and when to stay. In Acts chapter 16, verse number 6, this is during the Pauline journey and experience. And here we find this word. And when they had gone through uh, Phygia... It says to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach in Asia. And after they had come to Mysa, uh, they tried to go to Bethania. It said, but the Holy Ghost did not permit them. So passing through Mysa, they came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Look at the thing that Paul has to discern. 
Paul is a man that in Acts chapter 9 gets radically converted and stopped by the Holy Ghost and by Jesus Christ and calls him into ministry. Out of that radical call, Paul begins to fervently labor more than any of the other apostles to take the gospel globally in a far-reaching way. Paul now is in a place where he tries to go into Asia and he's trying to go up by Phygia uh, through the region of Galatia. But then even though he had zeal, it was not where God wanted him to go. So the Holy Ghost would not permit him to preach in Asia. He says, okay, if I can't go that way, let me go this way. And he comes to Mysa and he tries to go through Bethania and listen, when he gets there, uh-uh, Holy Ghost doesn't put him there. So he goes back to Mice and he settles down in Troas. And when he's there, he gets a vision. The vision is of a man saying, help us come over here. Listen, as we come in to the end times, Daniel says one of the tactics of the enemy in these last days is to wear out the saints. To wear out the saints of the most high. And one of the ways he wears out the saints of the most high is to get us doing things we were not assigned to do. Would you lean on your neighbor and tell them every opportunity is not an assignment? Say it again. And you and I will have to discern between opportunities and assignments. And there will be times where God will tell you to enter into an assignment. There are other times he will tell you to leave an assignment. And there's other times he'll tell you stay right where you are. And though we see many needs around, we cannot be moved by our emotion, by our compassion, by our sense of mercy and by need. We better know that it's God. And friends, you and I, our ability to discern between opportunities and assignment are critical. We have gone on many assignments in the Lord. I remember a few years ago, our church was going through a little bit of a change because I was changing around staff. I was uh, restructuring our vision and our mission statement. We were going through a multitude of changes. We had about three different changes we had going on simultaneously. And uh, and I really sensed that with all these changes, uh, there were people that were frustrated because we had to let some people go. We had to bring some new folks in. Uh, the church was kind of going digital, if you will. Our website was very static, so we had to change one of our departments and we needed to make it more dynamic and interactive. I mean, for three years, our leaders in our church were saying, when are we going to be able to register for this conference online? Okay, why do we always got to fill out a form? And then folks were saying, you know, the only place I write a check is when I come to church. Why can't I give on my debit card or give on the website? And now we have a mobile app. They were asking all those. And I'm kind of old school, you know, I'm still used to writing it out, filling out the envelope. All my millenniums are saying, apostle, come on, you know. I'm talking about hold up your Bible and about 50% of my congregation has a Bible. Everybody else has a cell phone, iPad or droid, smartphone. And some even have dumb phones with a Bible on it. Okay. And so, so we're, we're getting ready to move into a new era. And so we're making these shifts. And, and, and the thing that will be makes sense to me would be as a leader to help the church navigate through that change. But we had a vacation schedule because I knew that I needed a time to pull back to really analyze what was going on. And so we took a group of us on a cruise. A bunch of us had signed up and, and even the lady said, you know what all these changes are? are you going to be able to go on this? I said, yeah, I'm going. And I really prayed and I said, Lord, can I go? And he said, go, you need to refresh. And I said, thank you, Jesus. It's interesting when we went knowing and discerning when to enter, when to leave, and when to stay. I left, and I left everything, and I left all my staff in place. I said, y'all navigated for a week, I'll be back. Anything jump off, it's on you. Make a decision. And I remember when we left, uh, it, was one, it was like uh, Charles Dickens, you know, it's the best of times and the worst of times. We go on the ship, and the first night out of port, all of a sudden, we started hearing this call for this name, call for this name, call for this name. And some individual, they kept calling her name and we're out at sea. And then all of a sudden we get a knock on our door and they start asking us, have we seen the lady next door? And we said, well, we saw a lady with some blue hair earlier, but we hadn't seen her before. 
found out of somebody had fallen overboard on the ship. Found out not only had a young lady fallen overboard, but she had set up on the banister on her balcony that you have to stand in the chair to get on, was taking a selfie, flipped off the ship, fell into the ocean. She was on a trip, a cruise with her mother. Her mother's office department had won the cruise. And so they could take the, 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 the business person plus a spouse or plus a family member on the cruise overboard, 20 year old. Their whole department was devastated, knowing when to go, when to stay and when to enter. But praise the Lord, there was about 46 saints from Rama Christian Center on that ship because this department was about 100 people. And the very next day, we had a prayer chapel schedule for one hour because we were supposed to be at sea on that particular day. We held our prayer chapel and we went and began to interact with these people because they had on logos. And we said, if you need a place to touch and get a hold of God, come to the chapel. And we were there, 46 of us, and about 120 some people filled that chapel. And we were there and people were weeping with their coworker, crying, trying to comfort and all of those kinds of things. Listen, you and I, we never know when God tells you to lead a thing, even if it's in confusion and you think you need to be there. Remember, he's God. And could it be that though he's got this where there may be confusion on the staff and in the church, he may need you elsewhere. We have to discern between opportunities and assignment. I thought I was going on a vacation, but God has something bigger planned than that. We then out of that time scheduled another time of prayer and the people showed up again just for a time of prayer and comfort. And we were able to minister to that entire wing and, and our department of people because we were in the right place doing the right thing, having our light shining in dark places. We did not plan on going on that cruise to be a ministry team, but that's what we wound up doing. Because all week long, as we encountered each other at dinner, people told me I sat down with another person from that team and had a chance to talk and pray and comfort and minister. And friends, one of the things that you and I need to know when we talk about going and coming and staying, you may not know everything, but most of us know how to get a prayer through to God. And you may not know how to be the best preacher, the best prophet, but you and I can grab somebody by the hand in their time of need and say, can we pray? And it's interesting when you and I pray, we invite and we recognize the presence of God, his omnipresent in a specific way into that place. Paul wanted to get to a place and God said, no, you can't go that way. No, you can't go this way. Here's where your assignment is, Paul. And when he got settled down, he got the mind of the Lord. Sometimes this may mean that God sends you into some difficult places. Years ago, over several decades ago, my first time going to Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim country in our world. It's made up of uh, more Muslims in Indonesia than any place else in the world. And the Muslims had burned down several Christian churches uh, the week uh, or two weeks before I come. And then there was a riot that broke out between the Buddhists and the Muslims in that country. I was getting ready to go there and I asked and my wife looked and she said, isn't that where you're going? And I said, yeah, you want to come? And they were rioting in the streets. She said, oh, no, I'm not going. And she said, I'll pray for you as you go, though. And I said, OK, I'll need your prayers. And I really felt led that I needed to go. My host called him and said, are you still coming? I know you're probably getting news. I said, I am getting news. It looks pretty dangerous. He said, we need you here. One of my assignments was to minister the preacher's kids in New York at a retreat. And there was supposed to be just a few hundred preachers kids at this retreat center for me and the team that I was traveling with with Dr. Cole to come and minister to them. And instead of a few hundred, a thousand kids showed up at this retreat center. They only had a food for a few hundred. And so much of a move of God was going on there that the kids themselves said, since we don't have enough food to take three meals a day for everybody, each one of us will eat one meal a day and fast the rest of the day so that everybody at least gets one meal. They were on their faces crying out before God. And when I ministered on sexual purity that night, there was a breaking in that place. There was a, a repentance in that place. There was a commitment to uh, to uh, uh, that's that's love says to wait. And they all made a commitment 
to honor the glory of their virginity until the time they got married. We were able to lay hands on youth. It was a great move of God. When I went back the next few years, youth after youth that were now young adults says, I'm still honoring the covenant I made out there at that retreat center. And I went there in a time of danger because I had to discern the difference between an assignment and an opportunity. And friends, during this day, there's going to be a lot of pulls on us as saints because when people get desperate, they know how to find you. Hear me well. People may not believe in the God that we serve, but when they get desperate, they know how to find you. And when they find us, will they find answers? Will they find prayer? Will they find grace? You and I, we need to know and discern when to enter a thing, when to leave a thing and when to stay. And if we'll do that, we'll be in the right place. When Paul goes to Macedonia, he meets a woman. And out of that encounter with a woman, there's a move of God. He and Silas then enter into preaching. There's a move of God. They're arrested and then God moves again. And all of a sudden, the church in Macedonia is birthed. You and I need to discern when to stay, when to leave. And we also need to discern when to enter. Secondly, I believe we need to discern about who to develop and how to develop people, when to develop a person, and then also we need to discern when to release a person after you've developed them. And the exchange is important. We draw people to develop them, but we need to discern when to release them. Look with me in Mark chapter three. Jesus is my model for leadership, and I saw that Jesus loved people, but he also knew how to develop them and how to release them. And in Mark chapter three, Verse 13, familiar scripture, it says, he goeth up into a mountain and he called, uh, he called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained 12, notice this, that they should be with him. And that he might send them forth to preach. And to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Notice verse number 14 because it's critical. He, he, he called these ordained 12 that they should be with him. And that he might send them forth to preach. The first level of ordination is never go ye, it is come unto me. Our first level of ordination is to be with him. See, if I'm not with him, I don't have anything to say with people. If I'm not with him, I don't have anything to give the people. My first level of ordination is not go ye, it is come unto me. And when I come unto him, I want to be developed by him. And you and I, who are his disciples in the earth, now Jesus, who is our model, knew how to send them after they had been with him. God in this season is going to draw people to us. But remember, when God draws people to us, our responsibility is to pour into their life everything that we can. I liken the church, the children of God, to my own sons and daughters. My responsibility into them was as they were growing to pour everything in my life that I knew to pour into them so that when I launched them into life, they could be launched as independent people. Basically, one book that I read said roots and wings. That's what people give to their children. Roots so that they can have solid foundation. Wings so that they can fly away. And for any children that are concerned about your parents, let me let you know they want you to fly away one day. <laughs> roots, solid foundation, and wings. And friends, you and I, and we're root, in our rooting people, we need to make sure that we lay a solid foundation into them. There's a little scripture in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 that says, laying, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrines of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgments. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, those elementary doctrines are six doctrines I like to develop in people. Before I release anybody to teach or to preach, we have a class in our church called Understanding God, where we go through those six elementary doctrines. What does it mean to have repentance towards dead works? What does it mean to have faith towards God? 
What does it mean to understand doctrines of baptism? What does it mean to understand the ministry of laying on of hands? What does it mean to understand resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment? Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 gives us a roadmap for discipleship. Hebrews 6 says this is the foundation that we put in people. And sometimes as Christians, we try to give people all kind of stuff. Uh, you know, when they first come into Christ, I say, now, why not lay down the foundation, those six points that the Bible tells us to lay down? Repentance means to stop what we're doing, change our mind, turn around, live in a different way. Repentance when dead works means to stop evil works, wicked works, works that are contrary to God's work. But repentance when dead works also means a dead work can be something God has finished with and has moved on and you're still trying to hold on to it. And friends... We need to teach people how to stop what they're doing, change your mind, turn around and live in a different way. Repentance from dead works. Repentance is the door to restoration. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, developing people also says not laying again the foundation of faith towards God and faith towards God. We should understand saving faith. Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. There's a saving faith that we need to know. Hebrews chapter 10 says the just shall live by faith. So do you know there's a daily faith that you need? That you and I, when we step out there and drive our cars, there's a daily faith that we need. That I'm going to make it from point A to point B. And in some zones, they drive different than in other zones. Some places, I understand in this region, turn signals are optional. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. And so you need to have faith that you're going to be at the right distance behind someone. So when they turn, you don't wind up in their trunk. But I have to believe that not only do I have faith to get to work and back home safely, but I have faith to navigate through the places that God has called me to daily faith. Do you know that first Corinthians 13 talks about mountain moving faith? If I have faith that I can move mountains and Mark eleven twenty three says for verily I say unto you whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe those things that he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith that we need to believe God that we have mountain moving faith and sometimes you don't have time to go around a mountain go over a mountain you need to speak to a mountain and say move get out my way and watch that thing move then there's the gift of faith which is special faith which is the supernatural ability the Holy Ghost gives us in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, that to believe God for the supernatural, no matter what it looks like, I believe God. And it neutralizes doubt, fear, human reasoning. And you do the thing that God wants you to do without any doubt. It's a gift and a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. You need to teach people faith towards God. You need to teach people the doctrines of baptism, that you ought to be baptized in water. Believe and be baptized is what Mark says. And I really believe that in my developmental process, I need to teach people you need to be baptized in water. You need to bury the old man and the old woman and raise the new man and new woman. I believe in a baptism with the Holy Spirit. I believe that there's a baptism with the Holy Spirit that gives us power. And you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I believe I'm saved by grace. And then I believe that there's another work of grace. And I believe it's called the baptism with the Holy Ghost. And man, the Holy Ghost many times and many believers is a missing ingredient. And yes, I'm still Pentecostal charismatic. I still believe in the Holy Ghost. Uh, Some people call him the Holy Spirit. I call him the Holy Ghost. A ghost is the spirit of somebody that's still around after they're gone. I call him the Holy Ghost. Some people put a little perfume on it and put some mascara on him and call him the Holy Spirit on the other side of the freeway. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost is still the same thing to me. But he gives power into your life. I believe in the baptism with the Holy Ghost. I believe in the baptism with the Holy Ghost and fire. And the baptism with fire is when God's ongoing process to purge out all the old stuff out of our life. And and the fire of God is that fire that he purges us and makes us ready for service. Make sure that we are in that crucible all the time so that the dross is coming to the top. And even after you walk with the Lord, the Lord turns up the fire every now and then and says, I still got to skim some stuff off the top. Because when you put precious metal in a crucible and it melts it down, the dross comes to the top, you take it off. And what the refiner is looking for is a look into that vessel and see a reflection of himself. I believe in the doctrines of baptisms. I believe in the doctrine of laying on of hands. That's developing people. I believe that we lay hands on the sick so they can recover. We just read it in Mark 16. 
I believe in the laying on of hands for the reception of the Holy Ghost. I believe that when you read Acts 19, when Paul, after he comes to that church of Ephesus and they had only known the baptism of John, he baptized them in the name of the Lord. Then he lays his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. I believe in the doctrine of laying on of hands for the impartation of spiritual gifts. Paul is, tells Timothy, stir up the gift that was in you, that was put in you by the laying on of these hands. I believe in the doctrine of laying on of hands. Mark chapter 10, I believe in the doctrine of laying on of hands. It said they brought the young children to Jesus and he took them up in his arms and he laid his hands on them and they blessed them. I love laying my hands on little kids. I love laying my hands on little kids. Look at what the Lord tells me. There are people now that I have kids that I laid hands on. They were babies and infants prophesied over. Now their parents came back and said, you said they would read at an early age. Look at their reading score. You said that they would appear on a magazine one day. Look, here's the magazine. And I love it because prophecy and the laying on of hands helps shapes a child's mind and gives them a destiny and a purpose. I love the laying on of hands of ministers to ordain them the ministry through the laying on of hands. We need to teach people in their developmental process when to develop somebody, the doctrine of the resurrection. Because there's a lot of thoughts about what happens at the gravesite When somebody dies, if a man dies, shall he live again? Job asked that question. He says, all my days, I will wait till my chains come. I teach people that the grave is not the end. And I understand grief. I understand mourning. I understand loss. And I understand that because I've walked through it myself and walked through with many people. But I don't care when I put somebody's body in the ground that will say, I said, this is not the end. My intermittent service is celebrative and sorrowful because we're losing a person. But I stand there and I say, this is a real quiet place. Many of you will come here many times. I said, you'll come here to reflect on your loved one. I said, and it'll be quiet most of the time when you come. But then I said, but there's one day it ain't going to be quiet. I said, if you're standing here on that day, I said, my ancestors used to call it that great getting up morning. And that great getting up morning. Hallelujah. And we used to call it that great getting up morning. I said, because there's a day when the trump of God will shout and the dead in Christ shall rise. And this corruption shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality. We need to teach people the grave is not the end. There's a greater destiny for us. We need to teach people in the developmental system that eternal judgments, Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. And that is all of us are going to be evaluated. Every man shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ for believers. And then there's a place called the great white throne where all the rest will appear. But everybody's going to be evaluated at the end. Don't just think you're going to just skip into heaven. No, you're going to be evaluated. The seed of the deeds that you have done. And we're going to be evaluated from God because I know the terror of the Lord. I preach Christ Jesus, but I also keep myself spotless from this world. And that is I want to live right to the degree that I can live right. When I find that I'm living wrong, I'm quick to repent. And friends, I think that that becomes important for all of us to live that way. And for some of us, we might miss some of the places that we're wrong. So God gives us a spouse to tell us where we're wrong. Sometimes the Holy Ghost will sound like your spouse. Because in a man's case, she's called his helpmate. And she'll help him. And she'll say, you need to adjust that. You need to correct that. And so we begin to make adjustments and we begin to like iron sharpens iron. And there will be an eternal judgment for reward for the believers, for condemnation. And we give compassionate altar calls because we don't want people to appear before the great white throne. The great white throne, John, you're an attorney. That's judgment day. That's when the case is all over with. And now all the judge is doing is opening up the books and see how much time you're going to do. And man, when the, when, when the case is over, they've given you all the pleas and you didn't take the deal. And listen, there's a, everybody, everybody in here knows that you're guilty. There was a song out in the 60s that said, I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. Well, you may not have done everything, but you did something, okay? Some of y'all missed all that. I know, I know. Some of y'all missed all that. But listen to You may not have done everything, but you did something. And you know what? God offers you a deal. And he says, take the deal to play. And I've seen people make judges mad because the judge offered them a deal and worked with them and they didn't take the deal. And then when judgment day comes, a great white throne, he said, I offered you the deal and you didn't take it. 
is an old song that says, just as I am, it's a judicial song, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And now thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And I try to encourage people on a weekly basis, take the deal. You may not have done everything, but you did something. And there are two places that you're going to appear at the end. One at the judgment seat of Christ for reward. One at the great white throne. Take the deal so that you can appear at this great white throne. How loving, how much loving kindness does our God have? He has so much loving kindness. If you wait to the end of your life, he'll still offer you the deal. I've gone in hospitals room where people refuse to deal, but they are still coherent. Maybe hooked up the machines. I said, can you hear my voice? And so squeeze my hand. Yes. And they squeeze that hand. I said, listen, I'm going to pray with you. Do you want to receive Christ? Because I said, because the prognosis they're giving you is not good. We're believing God, but it's not good. Yeah, they'll squeeze that hand. I said, are you ready to pray? They'll squeeze that hand and I'll pray and I'll see mouths trying to move. And people say, do you think God will do that? I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I said he's a loving, kind God. He's compassionate. He's full of mercy. And friends, I really believe that we ought to teach people that's the development system. And then after we develop them and we see them mature, then there needs to be a time that we release them to go do that for somebody else. Go lead a small group. Go lead a ministry. Find a small Bible study at work where you could take what's in you and pour it back into somebody else. And friends, it takes real discernment to know when's enough. I don't want to overdevelop somebody. I want to develop them enough so that when I release them, I know they're going to reproduce fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And here Jesus says, come unto me. He said, I ordained them to be with me. Why? So that I could send them forth to preach. We need to know when to develop a person and then when to release a person. If we put untested merchandise on the market, it's going to malfunction. So develop people. Point number three. I believe that you and I, and I've learned this pastorally, and this is for leaders. We need to discern the difference between ignorance and rebellion in people. Ignorance and rebellion in people. Some people are just ignorant. Some people are rebellious. Let's look at a case study. This man's name is Apollos. Acts chapter 18 is the text. And in Acts chapter 18 and verse 24, Acts 18, 24, it says a certain man named Apollos, 18, 24, was born in Alexandria, northern Egypt there. And it says, and, um, and he said he was an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit. He was on fire. He spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, this is after Christ's resurrection and ascension. So then he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And Aquila and Priscilla heard him and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross the Acacia, the brother wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he was greatly, he greatly helped those who believe through grace. For he was vigorously refuted that the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Here's a man that has a great empowerment of God, the anointing. He's fiery in his spirit. He's eloquent in speech, but he only knows the baptism of John. A husband and wife team come to him, Aquila and Priscilla. And they come and they begin to instruct him and give him the way of the Lord more excellent. And as he receives instruction, you know what he does? He changes. 
One of the ways I've learned to discern between ignorance and rebellion is with a word called instruction. When someone is ignorant, when you instruct them, they will change. When somebody is rebellious, when you instruct them, they will keep doing the same thing. I found out with ignorant people, you instruct them. And ignorance is not a slur on somebody. It means that they just don't know something in a particular area. But when someone is rebellious, even when you instruct them, they will do the same thing over and over again. I had a man come to our church one Saturday night and we were uh, up singing and and all of a sudden, man uh, threw off his coat, ran up and started playing the congas. And I I looked uh, at my at my worship leader. I said, who's that? He said, I don't know. I said, what you mean you don't know? So I asked Usher, I said, who is that up here? He said, I don't know. He just got up. He just was a visitor. And I said, go up there and tell him. I said, come down. Usher went up, tapped him, said, the pastor said, come down. He said, oh, okay. And he came down. And at the end of the service, I said, you tell that young man to come over here. He came over. And he said, one of your members invited me here. And he said, I was just so enjoying the praise and worship. I saw no way he's playing the kungas. And he said, and I just decided to join in with the worship team. I said, well, now that's a good motive. I said, but don't ever do that again. <laughs> I said, before you serve in our church, you got to go to newcomers class. And I said, before you serve in our church, we need to know what you're releasing over our congregation. He began to explain to me that he was a, a missionary from the African continent. And obviously I looked at him. I thought he was from Africa. It's Sierra Leone. And, and he began to tell me of his ministerial background. And I said, all of that is well and good, but don't you ever do that again. <laughs> Eventually he joined our church. Eventually got through his newcomers class. Eventually connected with the worship team because when he received the instruction, he just changed. And one of the things that we had, I could have said, that's just a rebel. That's the devil. Because y'all know that the devil fell out of heaven into the choir stand, don't you? <laughs> Sometimes the worship department is called the warfare department for a lot of different reasons. And friends, many times there's a lot of contention there. And, and so I have to instruct this department. There's the ongoing tension between the sound people in our church and the people on the platform. It's kind of quiet in here. <laughs> so I find myself mediating. And I know whether I'm dealing with rebellion or whether I'm dealing with ignorance when I give instructions, say, this is the way it's going to be. Now, how if you instruct an ignorant person discernment, how, how do you deal with rebellion? Once I tell you what to do. And you don't do it, then that's rebellion. Rebellion is an is a, is an assault against uh, delegated authority. Rebellion, rebellion. It's an assault against delegate. Uh, all sin is an offense against God's holiness, but rebellion is an offense against God's whole, uh, against God's authority. And there's also delegated authority. I found out rebellion has to be confronted and dealt with. Conf- confrontation means I need to look you in the face and say, "We need to meet." Now, when you're dealing with a rebel, they'll say, well, can we meet on Saturday? I say, no, we're going to meet on Friday because we deal with a rebel. You can't give them no ground. They say, well, can we meet Friday at nine? No, let's meet at 730. Well, can we meet at Bob Evans? No, come to the church. I don't give rebels any ground. Well, can I bring my wife? No, you come. And I found out when I deal with rebels, I have to set the tone. And I have to confront the issue at hand. And friends, I found out unconfronted issues go unchanged. And when someone is instructed and they still persist in what they're doing, then that's rebellion. And friends, rebellion has to be confronted and needs to be dealt with. And we need to discern. They could have discerned that maybe Apollos was just so loyal to John that he was just a rebel. and He's going to keep on preaching a baptism with John no matter what anybody said. But when Aquila and Scylla came to him and instructed him, guess what? He changed. I remember there was a time when I used to be able to preach and I still can for two and three hours. I preached for a long time. And one day my pastor came to me and he said, Lafayette, you know how long I usually preach? I said, no. He said, 45 minutes. He said, 
He said, as you have been preaching, you're preaching and your sermons got longer and longer. He said, I need you to cut that hour down to 45 minutes. I did that. And I found out that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And so I began to control my spirit so that I could do what he asked me to do. Given opportunity, I can preach a long time. I think the longest message I've ever preached was six hours with a 15 minute break when I was in Africa. And they asked for it. So I gave it to them. They kept saying, keep going, keep going. I said, okay. So I know there's a capacity, but people, you know, they can't take all of that. People have an attention span one minute per year. So if you have a 15 year old before you, you have 15 minute attention span. Have a 20 year before you, 20 minute attention span. Have a bunch of 30 years old, 30 years. If, if the average age in our church is about 47 years old, I know I about 45 minutes to keep everybody locked in. After that, people are going to pop in and point out, pop out. I mean, even some people here, they just came back in, see? Because uh, they left for a minute and they came in. What's he talking about now? Okay. And so people pop in and out all the time. And now with cell phones and all that kind of stuff, people are fact checking the preacher too. You throw out a statistic, somebody's going to look it up. Some people ask God, some people ask Google. (laughs) So people are fact checking us as we preach and they're popping in and out all the time. And I had to learn to reel it in. So when I tell my preachers now we're doing a half an hour preaching services, I say, listen, reel it in, son, reel it in. Getting a little long. The word of God, my pastor told me, he said, the word of God is eternal, but it does not have to be everlasting. And friends, you and I have to learn. I made adjustments so I know we can and discern because sometimes we throw away good people thinking that they are rebellious when really they were just ignorant. They didn't know the way that they do things here at Faith Christian Center. In our context, at our church, people bring in timbrels and they play them. They bring in banners uh, and they wave them at their seats. But in some churches, that's not permitted. The only instruments are on the platform. You have to know. And once you inform somebody, then you'll know what they are. In our church, you don't prophesy to people unless you record it, unless there's an authority around. You just don't go out in the parking lot, pull groups of people together and start prophesying to them. Not at our place. Somebody go tell on you. They'll say, ooh, I'm going to go tell. <laughs> just, now, other camps, they do things different ways. That's not the way you work it out at our place. So once we inform people, if they persist in doing it, then we got to confront them. Are you understanding me? I say, are you understanding me? I need some verbal response. Are you understanding me? In the inner city was that, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Ignorance and rebellion, discern. It's going to be critical because sometimes we throw away good people thinking they're rebellious. We really, what they need is enlightenment. Let's move on. We need to understand and discern how to restore people. It's probably the toughest thing that I'm going to say tonight, but in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and I'll rest on it and then move on to my final point. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, listen, we live in a corrupt world. We deal with fallen people that are being redeemed. And Galatians 6, 1, we need to Discern the mind of the Lord for restoration. Galatians 6 says, brethren, uh, brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, you who are spiritual, any spiritual folk in here, raise your hand. Anybody spiritual? Anybody spiritual? You who are spiritual, raise your hands. Go ahead. Don't be embarrassed if you're spiritual. Okay, good. Put your hands down. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We deal in a corrupt world with fallen people that are being redeemed. But once they are redeemed, they can still malfunction. When they malfunction, it takes discernment to know how to restore. Write down one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to give these to you real fast under that point. First of all, to restore people, you need proper theology. And that is that you and I need to believe that God's a God of restoration. That if people messed up, they can be fixed up, they can be mended, and they can be put back in the game. Proper theology, God is a God of restoration. Case study, ask Peter. A proper theology. Next of all, second, we need to understand the grace of God. And the grace of God says, I extend grace in a spirit of gentleness 
I have to consider myself. If I messed up, how would I want to be handled? So an understanding of the grace of God, if I have been a recipient of God's grace, then I need to be an extender of God's grace to people who have malfunctioned. I have to receive the mind of God to know how to extend grace and understand the grace of God. Number three, to restore people. It takes a great work of patience because when I'm restoring fallen people to the place of purpose, hear me well, sometimes they will even malfunction in the restoration process. So it will take a great work of patience to walk people back to where they're supposed to be. And that means we have to be long suffering with people. It may take time and it may not take the same amount of time for one as it does for another. Some people I've been able to restore in a 90 day period of time. Others, it's been 18 months. Depending on what was broken inside of them, it takes a great work of patience. Fourthly, it takes brokenness in the person to restore a person because the person needs to know I have violated God and I made myself an offense to God's people. And I'm not only uh, sorry, but I'm also broken over what has happened. Listen to me. How important the, 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 the sacrifice of God. When David messed up, he said the sacrifices of God in Psalm 51 are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He will not despise. Brokenness is when I understand I have a breach that I have between me and, me and God. I understand the damage I've done in my relationship with God. That produces brokenness in the person being restored. A contrite spirit means I also need to examine how did I damage God's people because of what I failed in? How did I hurt my wife, my children, the people of God? And I'm sorry about the damage I did to his body and his reputation in the earth. And I need to understand and I need to wait until I see both. I remember Mary Ann Brown and I were restoring a man years ago in my region. She lived in Texas. So we worked together on his restoration. And this man, his whole restoration uh, motive was to get back to ministry. And one day, Prophet Mary Ann Brown said, son, I'm not trying to get you back to ministry right now. I'm trying to get you back to God. She said, because if I can get you back to God, then we can get you back to ministry. And when he understood his uh, offense to God and then to his wife, his family and his church, then once we saw brokenness, we could restore. Listen, finally, neither I need right theology and understanding of God's grace, a work of patience and also brokenness. But finally, on this point right here, I need the mind of the Lord to restore people because restoration. I need to say, God, what do you want? I need the mind of the king. I said, God, this is your child. And see, any of us who've raised children, we use different measures of discipline with different children because they had different temperaments, different personalities. I have one child, my youngest son has sensitive spirit. All you have to do is raise your voice to him and he would come into compliance and alignment. My daughter, she was just going to try to talk you out of it. She was going to negotiate, mediate, just talk, 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 talk. And she's going to use her charm, smile, all that kind of stuff. And so she's she mediator, negotiator. She's going to try to talk her way out of it. And uh, she's much like her dad. My mother used to tell me, she said, listen, she said, I, you're not going to have the last word with me. And one time my mother, I mean, when I was growing up, she said I'm, she was trying to discipline me. And she said, I said, shut up. Why do you always want to have the last word? And I said, I don't want to have the last word. So it's in the fruit because it was in the root, you understand? <laughs> My oldest son, he's the attorney. He'll try to talk his way out of everything. Uh-huh. Yolanda be face to face, but John did try to talk his way out of stuff. And, uh, and, and so we had to use different measures of discipline for them. Same thing with the children of God I've discovered. I need the mind of the Lord. Lord, what shall I deal with this, your child, to restore them? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, Psalm 51 is what David said. And for some of us who are becoming senior statesmen in the kingdom of God and in this church, just remember that we deal in a corrupt world with flawed people. 
and flawed people will mess up. And it's not enough just to discover their mess. Can we place in place systems and people that say, give me that damaged person. I know how to handle them. And somebody who is spiritual enough in a spirit of meekness, not condemnation, not judgmentalism, but a spirit of meekness say, we're going to get you back in the game. It may take a while, but we're going to get there. It may take some time, but we're going to get there. But you're going to be better off once you're restored. We're going to get you back in there and then we're going to celebrate you. I remember restoring a man back that was uh, in one of our public ministries in terms of our worship team. Cannot forget how many times people celebrated him when they saw him back on the stage. Say, welcome back. Welcome back. When it's done right, people will celebrate. And I believe there needs to be a spirit of meekness. Let me cover my final point. I believe that we need to discern what's really broken in people. Friends, when we discern what's really broken in people, we can help restore them. Luke 4, 18. This is the anointing that was upon Jesus. And in Luke 4, 18, it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Poor people have something broken. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted people have something broken to proclaim liberty to the captive people that are bound and are oppressed. Listen, they have something broken. It says to give sight to the blind. Blind people have something broken and to set at liberty. Those that are bruised, says King James, New King James says those that are oppressed. Friends, you and I, we need to discern uh, what's really broken in people and how we handle them is also equally important. My final scripture is First Thessalonians 5.14. And this is one that the Lord taught me over time. Here, Paul, when he's talking to church at Thessalonica, and, and this one's up on the screen. In New King James, it says, now we exhort you, brethren. Notice three categories of people. He says, listen, he says, warn those that are unruly. That would be those rebellious folks. Then he says, couple, he says, comfort the faint hearted and King James says the feeble minded. And then he says, and uphold the weak and be patient with all. And so King James says, comfort the feeble minded. New King James says, you know, comfort those that are faint hearted. And I think that it's important that we understand where are people on the, on the landscape and on the map. There are some people that are unruly. And friends, we need to warn them. Okay, get it together over there. In our in our city, our church uh, has a bus stop in front of it. So we get people from the mental health facility that comes to our church. Many of them are bipolar. Some of them, when they're on the medications and until God heals them of their chemical imbalance, they do well. But we can tell when they come in the door, when they're beginning to have an episode. And we've had to have people that says, now, listen, that's not... Rebellion, that's something that's going on physiologically inside their house. But then we have some other people that just come in. They just going to do their own thing. Get up and prophesy all kind of crazy stuff. And I warn them and I said, now listen, if you do stuff publicly, I'm going to have to get with you publicly. Just don't do that. So I warned them. I said, this is what we're looking for. Edification, exhortation and comfort in a public service. If you can't say something that's going to edify, build us up. Edification, exhortation, encourage us and comfort, strengthen us. Hold that. Write it down. One of the prophets told me one time, came in our church, I'm not writing down no prophecy. Prophecy supposed to be spoken. I said, I said, if that's true, you wouldn't have half your Old Testament. Because the prophets in the Old Testament wrote down their prophecy. And I had to then warn them of what we would do and what we would not. There are some people that are just feeble minded, faint hearted. And those need to have comfort. There are some people we need to come alongside of them and just comfort them. And friends, some people need a warm, comforting arm around their shoulder. And a word in their ear, we're going to walk through this together. My heart goes out to you. And this too shall pass. Let's walk through this together. People need to be comforted. They need to know that somebody's going to be with them on the journey. I tell people under promise, 
but overperform. Don't tell folks you're going to call them every day and then call them once a week. It's better to tell somebody I'll get with you sometime this week. And then if that sometime becomes two times, under promise, overperform, it brings comfort to the weak. Not only do I have to deal with the unruly, the feeble-minded, and the weak, but friends, I believe that I need to be patient with all people all the time. Different kind of responses for different people. And I've had to learn how to be in my response. When I was a young pastor, confession time, I used to be pretty hard-hearted on people that just didn't get it the first time. And then God began to deal with me and he said, how many times did you have to hear that before you got it? I just thought that if I told people things one time that they would get it. I found out some people, they need to hear it over and over and over again. And for all the pastors that are in Pastor Ray, Pastor Ray and Pastor John, listen to me. Listen. And all the elders in the church. Listen, this is the thing I'm also hearing. One time I found out that I've been preaching on something for a whole year. Couldn't buy an amen from from the church. A guest minister comes in. Says the same thing I've been saying. And the people are off the wall saying, amen, throwing money up on the stage. And the Holy Ghost said, this is a test, attitude check. And you know what I had to say? Well, thank the Lord they finally got it. And what I found is that I had to learn, don't be so hard hearted with people. Because we have people that are unruly. Just deal with them. But everybody's not unruly. People that are feeble-minded, comfort them. People that are weak, support them. And folks, be patient with everybody. Think if we'll have a church like that, a church that's comforting, supporting, and even that will warn folks, we can grow this church. I want to pray tonight because some of you have people in your home. And you are wondering, come on, Pastor Ray, whether you're dealing with a child that is ignorant or a child that is rebellious. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It may be a grown son and daughter, but you are struggling. You're trying to say, Lord, what am I dealing with here? And if you have a relationship that you're dealing with and you're trying to discern whether this is just ignorance or whether this is rebellion, would you raise your hand anywhere in this sanctuary? Somebody that's dealing and struggling with that issue. I see one hand. I see another hand. I see another hand. I see several hands over there. Good. Those hands that are up, I'm praying for you right now. I'm praying for you because I know that one of the toughest things in life is when you know someone's been informed And they have been rebellion. Do you know that even in rebellion, God can send out the Holy Ghost to arrest people in their rebellion? Ask the young man that had a prodigal problem. So whether it's ignorant or rebellion, I'm asking God, where do you want me to stand? And sometimes as parents, we can begin to interfere with the work of God in their life to the degree that God never gets to them. I have to believe that that father that let that prodigal son go over the top of that hill knew he wasn't ready, knew he was going to waste his substance. But you know what? He let him go and he trusted the heavenly father, though he was a biological father. I want to pray for you because I know the heart that you must have. And some of us are dealing with foster children. Some of us are dealing with blended families. And we're saying, God, what is your strategy? I believe that tonight God is going to release a strategy through discernment to know where to stand, where to deal. He's going to release a strategy on whether you need to send the resource or hang on to the resource. Whether you need to open the door to let them back in your life or whether you need to maintain your stand. And to what degree and what frequency you let them back in. This is a tough decision. But friends, I know that God can help you to discern and sift and sort and reveal what's going on right now. Let's pray. Father, we had hands raised today. Because even with our family members, Father, sometimes we're dealing with ignorance. We're expecting people to operate at a high level because they've been in church all their lives and they're operating at a lower level. And oh God, I join uh, in relationship and in faith with those that are here. And God, today as I pray, I just uh, labor together with these in prayer. And I'm praying, Father, that you would just help them and strengthen them as they uh, pray for their loved one. 
Father, somebody has a daughter out there that's being enticed by a guy or another girl that is not healthy, that is not right, that is outside of your natural law. And oh God, I break, I break, I break that attachment now in Jesus' name. Unhealthy, entanglement, soul ties. In the name of Jesus, I break that thing off their life. Father, some of it is religious ideology. Someone is cast off, Father, their Christian foundation and their biblical root. And in the name of Jesus, Father, I come against that spirit of deception and that spirit of seduction and that spirit of false doctrine. In the name of Jesus, I neutralize it and I cause you to dissolve right now in Jesus' name. Let truth be established. And Father, the roots of the truth that has been sown in the life of that child who's kind of walked away from the faith, walked away from the family, walked away from the home. I speak to the root of that thing and say, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. I curse it from its root. It will not bear fruit in Jesus' name. Father, there's a child out there that's produced a child now. And they're producing and raising a child in rebellion away from your house. Oh, God, let them remember that there's bread enough and to spare in father's house. Father, for our seed's sake and for our seed, seed's sake. And God, as I listen to you, I see these grandparents laboring and saying, I need my child in the house of the Lord so that my grandchildren shall be taught of the Lord because this word that's in my mouth shall not depart from my mouth and from my seed's mouth and from my seed, seed's mouth. God, your word says that the promise of the Holy Ghost is unto us, to our children, as many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Oh God, you have given us a transgenerational promise of the Holy Ghost to our seed. We pray, Father, that you will give us discernment and strategy, Father, for our seed, our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren in Jesus' name. And then finally, Father, I pray, for the courage to stand. If we're dealing with those that are unruly, as a parent, let us warn. If we're dealing with the weak, let us strengthen. If we're dealing with the feeble-minded, let us comfort. But Father, with, with faith and patience, let us inherit the promise. In Jesus' name. Oh God, let it be so. Father, let us be like that jailer in Macedonia. If you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved and your household. Let all of our sons and daughters be saved for this promises unto us, to our children, as many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. For this we give you thanksgiving. For this we give you praise. Now, Father, we've journeyed through five areas of discernment tonight. I pray now in Jesus' name that you'll help us to discern these issues. Help us to discern when to leave, when to stay, and when to enter. Help us to discern when to develop a person, and then give us the timing so that we release them right. Help us to discern between ignorance and rebellion. Help us to, to discern how to restore. Help us to discern how to handle people and figure out where they're broken, and then fix them. Whether it's failure, whether it's feeble-minded, whether it's bad choices. Help us in Jesus' name.